Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets SEL podcast. This is Andrea Samadhi. This interview will be broadcast on YouTube as well as the regular podcast channel. So be sure to look for the YouTube link in the show notes if you'd like to view the video. Today we have Clark McCown. He's the founder and president of XL Labs, an award-winning social scientist and a leading expert on SEL assessment. His work with SEL assessments began back in 2007 at Rush University, and in 2016, he founded Excel Labs and their assessment called CellWeb. In 2017, more than 50,000 children completed CellWeb during the 2017-18 school year, and they continue to grow. Welcome, Clark. Thank you, thank you for having me. Clark, I have some questions that tie into the language of SEL and assessment for others to gain some clarity with these terms. There's a lot to navigate yep. the terminology and something has different meanings for different people. So when I was referred to your work, it was from Greg Wolcott. He's an assistant superintendent from Chicago. And he mentioned you were the number one person to speak to with regards to SEL assessments in the US. And we know from feedback from the 2019 Social Emotional Learning Summit that educators are interested in social emotional learning, but they're not always sure where to start. And they're looking for clear starting points in developing their own SEL strategies and programs. So I wanted to have you on today to share your research and your knowledge in the growing field of SEL as many school districts begin to implement their programs. Um, just so that you can give some clarification to the field, can you give an overview of where you see SEL is now from when you started Excel Labs and where you see it's going in the country? Absolutely. Um, I think it's an exciting time to be in the field of slow motion. There's obviously a ton of interest in the topic. Um, and I, I think where we've come to right now is that there's growing consensus about what social and emotional learning is. Uh, there's general agreement that it's uh, really important for success in school and life. I think people agree that these uh, that what SEL is uh, is made up of competencies that can be taught, and there's a lot of evidence that when SEL instructional practices and programs are used with sufficient intensity and fidelity, they produce um, a benefit that's that's really good for kids uh, in all kinds of outcome domains, including academics. Um, I think there's a lot of options for educators who want to implement an SEL program. Uh, there are evidence-based SEL programs listed in CASEL's program guides. If you select any one of those and use it with sufficient intensity and fidelity, uh, it's likely to be beneficial. Um, there's also growing interest in social and emotional assessment, and there are a growing number of options available for school districts who want to assess social and emotional competencies as part of their programming. And so I, I think those are some of the main headlines in terms of where we are as a field right now. Uh, the other piece I think that's important is that a growing number of states are adopting standards or guidelines that say what social and emotional competencies children should be expected to know or be able to demonstrate at different ages, which I think is really helpful for educators to provide them some guidance about, okay, what is this thing? Uh, what does it look like when uh, we've taught it? And uh, what are the expectations about the kinds of skills at different ages kids ought to be able to, to show us? So those are some really important, um, some important pieces where we've come to. I think in terms of the, the future of SEL, um, I'm part of a, an assessment work group that's, uh, that's uh, convened by CASEL on the state of the field of SEL assessment. And um, I am the lead author on the state of the field report about SEL assessment. 
But, and I, I think one of the main things that uh, I've sort of learned in the process of pulling together and working with my colleagues about this report is that um, the, the future of SEL assessment and the future of SEL are bound up in one another. What I mean by that is that um, uh, SEL will, I think, have its maximum benefit for teaching and learning when a, a couple of things happen. And that is when social and emotional standards or guidelines at the state level are reflected in uh, local practices so that the curricula and programs and practices that teachers are using in classrooms are, are designed to teach the competencies that are codified in those standards. And when assessment is also designed to teach those same competencies. So when you've got standards, programs and practices and assessment all lining up to really be going after the same thing, then each one of them is gonna be greater than some of its parts. That is gonna require though uh, professional development because SEL is a relatively new thing and there's a lot of variation and familiarity and comfort among educators with SEL. So we're gonna to need to uh, develop uh, both pre-service and in-service training options for educators to really uh, feel comfortable and conversant that they understand SEL soup to nuts. Absolutely, and so do you see that the movement as the states are coming on board, because I am following the states who have their K-12 standards and we're not all there yet. So it's, it's the movement is there, the teams are in place. And how do you see everybody working together, the publishers, to make sure that the standards are in the curriculum? There's a lot of moving pieces. Well, I'll tell you, I think it's all evolving and um, it's not just like any kind of um, evolutionary process. It's not necessarily neat and tidy. You know, I think standards are going to come online. Sometimes those standards were inspired by what local school districts were doing. You know, it wasn't just that legislators in a vacuum thought, hey, it would be really good for us to codify these things. Um, other times the state thinks of it and districts follow. I think there are uh, companies like our own and other and publishers who are looking to the field to say, hey, which direction are things going to head so that, uh, you know, we can make a contribution to, uh, to educational practice, too. So so there's a lot of like um, sort of scanning the evolution of the uh, of the field to figure out how each of the players in the field can make the maximum contribution. It's almost as if, you know, that metaphor where um, uh, everybody's touching a different part of the elephant, but nobody's got really their hands around the whole thing. That's kind of like SEL right now. But I do think there are some real, uh, some real advantages to the field and certain things are coming together in a coordinated way that make me bullish on its future. It really is exciting times. Thank you for that. So what would you say would be the first steps that you would recommend a district consider when looking to go from intention to action? So they're ready to start their SEL program. And you mentioned in your blog, social emotional learning programs and practices where you suggest two broad approaches, one being to adopt a widely used SEL program from Castle's program guide, and the other being the kernel approach. Can you explain these approaches and the pros and cons to each? Absolutely. Well, let me take on the two parts of that, that question um, separately. The first is sort of like what if I'm a district and I want to get started on my SEL uh, planning and implementation, wh where can I turn to to get some guidance? Uh, I got to say, Castle's website is, uh, is the, the, I think, the top resource for districts who really want some guidance about how do I go from uh, becoming aware that I, I want to do SEL in my school to uh, to um, selecting and implementing the right kind of program and practice for my community, for my teachers, for my kids. 
Um, if you go to the Castle website, I think there's a little resources button and there's a district resource guide that really is wonderful because, you know, depending on your, your stage of the conversation in your district, you can sort of select where to go. So if you're just starting, you know, how do you figure out what your needs are? How do you pull together the right people at the table? How do you start setting priorities? Um, if you're kind of down that path, um, you can kind of skip those sections and go to like, how do I select the right program for me? Uh, what, what do I need to do to implement it with fidelity? So it's really a very um, kind of interactive guide uh, for districts who are interested in implementing. So that would be the place I would go to begin with. And um, Castle, you know, they have consultants who are available to help with this, this process too. Um, so then the second question is about the sort of programs versus practices and you know, my, my feeling is that there's this healthy conversation going on in the field um, where there are these evidence-based programs or curricula uh, that are available. And when what we know is that when you implement them with sufficient intensity and quality, they are likely to, lead, to, to produce um, a benefit. Uh, students will learn social and emotional competencies and learning those social and emotional competencies will lead to better academic outcomes, behavioral outcomes, et cetera. Um, the catch is that uh, it can be, I mean, these are curricula that have a certain scope and sequence, and uh, some districts um, feel that it's not necessarily easy or realistic to integrate a whole curriculum along with all the other demands that they have, or they might feel, you know, this is great, but it doesn't quite fit the community context we have. And so sometimes um, implementing programs in total uh, as a package with fidelity and intensity can be a hard thing to do. So other folks have said, well, look, um, to, to address that, instead of uh, uh, um, pushing the idea of programs onto districts, let's, uh, let's look at kernels or practices, small things that teachers can do in their everyday practice that we know are good for kids' social and emotional development. Things like, um, you know, labeling children's emotions. Um, so if a child is uh, upset or angry, helping them understand that they're upset or angry, for example. That's not a curriculum. That's simply something that a teacher can do frequently that helps kids to understand themselves. Um, the, the problem with the kernels approach is it's really hard to um, know whether uh, teachers are, are doing these things with sufficient intensity uh, to make a difference, right? It can get diluted very quickly. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, you've got programs and practices that if you do them as they're written, they tend to work, uh, uh, but they can sometimes be uh, a hard sell, a hard to impl uh, implement well. On the other hand, you've got kernels, which are a lot easier to assimilate, but it's really hard to know uh, how to make them uh, sort of deeply rooted and, uh, and high impact. Um, I tend to feel like the field is going to be in a great position. I've written about this when um, uh, there is a kind of modular evidence-based approach to SEL where uh, educators can use really good social and emotional learning data to understand their students' strengths and needs. And then uh, rather than just kind of using kernels that they pick up here and there, they can use evidence, parts of an evidence-based curriculum uh, that are focused on the needs of the students in front of them. Still universal, it's not special education, it's not kids with, with special needs, it's universal SEL, but it's not that you have to go from lesson one to lesson 30 in lockstep, the same thing for everybody. It's that you've selected the pieces that you're gonna use and emphasize based on data. Um, there's a lot of evidence from the world of chi child psychotherapy that that kind of ev uh, modular evidence-based uh, treatment approach is really effective and, uh, and can be uh, practically and feasibly utilized in community mental health centers 
So I think there's an analog in the education world where as, uh, teachers could use uh, modular evidence-based practices in SEL. But I don't think anybody's done this yet, and it's just an idea, but it seems like it takes the best of programs and practices and kernels and, and packages them together. Good points on that. So that was my next question for you was going to talk about the difference between choosing an evidence-based program and then one that's data-informed and the, the differences between that and why you would choose one versus the others. Yeah, I, I think it's, they're kind of, um, they're similar issues, the idea of an evidence-based program and data-informed instruction, but they're somewhat different. I mean, I think an evidence-based program is like a curriculum or a, an intervention model or a program model that's been subjected to um, a rigorous field trial where you, uh, you've tested outcomes of the program compared to some group that's not receiving the program. And, and uh, the evidence has shown that when kids are exposed to that program, they do better than if they're not exposed to that program. And those are published, and then CASEL will then include that kind of evidence in their, uh, their program guides. So when they say a program is evidence-based, it means a rigorous study has demonstrated that, that uh, the intervention will produce a benefit when done well. Now that helps you if you're saying there are a million programs out there. Uh, which ones are likely to produce a benefit? Well, you go and you see what's the evidence. What are the field trials that have been done? What does CASEL say about the level of evidence supporting this program and uh, the likely benefits if it's done well? So it kind of helps you uh, separate the programs that are likely to really be beneficial from those where we just don't know. Uh, and that's what evidence-based um, SEL is. You're picking, uh, picking programs that have demonstrated efficacy. Now, data-informed practice is a little bit different. Once you've picked your evidence-based program and you've put it in place, the question is, how do you know it's working in an ongoing way, number one? And number two, how can you use data uh, to kind of massage your use of the program so that it's really building on student strengths and, and addressing student needs? So that's where, so we have, for example, an assessment system uh, that uh, educators can use in the fall to get a sense of student strengths and needs. It pairs really nicely with a lot of evidence-based SEL programs, and they can use their data to say, you know, we really need to emphasize this competency, and that's this set of lessons in the scope and sequence. Um, so let's go ahead and kind of start with those and emphasize those throughout the school year to really try to uh, build up competencies because that's an area of need and then reassess in the spring to see what kind of progress kids have made. So that's kind of collecting data in an ongoing way, both to inform how you're going to use your SEL resources and to see that things are moving in the right direction. Excellent. Excellent. Now, one of the main reasons that I have noticed, and I know that all educators have, the historic lack of engagement with social-emotional skill development in schools, it all relates to the issue of measurement. And it was only a few years ago that I had a superintendent email me an article that asked the question, how are we going to measure these SEL competencies? And he was looking for me mm -hmm. to answer this, and I didn't know, and he didn't know. So what are your thoughts on this? I know the latest developments in social emotional measurement that you're, you're involved in allow these skills to be measured meaningfully. Can you explain the difference between some measurement tools that might be survey based versus what you've created with CellWeb and how CellWeb me measures these SEL competencies? 
Yeah, I can give you a, a kind of a thumbnail uh, overview. I do have a book that just came out just for a self-serving plug on uh, practical uh, social and emotional assessment. And it does go through the different kinds of assessment tools that are available and also what sorts of um, processes a school might have to go through to, or should go through to decide what do we want to measure? What is our goal in doing that measurement? How do we, given those goals, uh, pick the right tool for the job? And then afterwards, once we've collected the data, um, how can we engage in a productive discussion about student strengths and needs so that we can be uh, the best that we can be? So that book has all this stuff in detail. But briefly, um, you know, I do think that, um, that there are several different methods of assessment available. The most commonly used right now are self-report questionnaires where children are given questions or items and asked to rate, the, uh, rate themselves. So an item might be like um, around growth mindset, uh, might be something like, uh, if I work hard, I'll get better at, uh, at what I'm doing. And then kids rate how true that is of them. So that's a self-report sort of strategy. There are teacher rating scales uh, in which a teacher rates the frequency of behavior, a variety of behaviors that reflect social and emotional competence. And uh, there are several good uh, uh, teacher rating scales out there. Uh, and the, there are direct assessments like the assessments that we provide which, um, in which kids have to demonstrate their competencies by solving challenging tasks. So in our assessment, for example, to get at how well children understand others' emotions, rather than having them fill out a questionnaire saying, you know, I am good at reading other people's faces, or having a teacher rate that, they look at faces and have to indicate whether the person is happy, sad, angry, scared, or just okay. Okay, they're showing what they know rather than telling us what they know or having a teacher tell us what they know. Each one of these strategies is uh, good for some things and not as good for other things. There are other approaches as well. A lot of uh, schools and districts use kind of administrative records to look at things like office disciplinary referrals and suspensions and things like that. I tend to feel that those are uh, not really social and emotional assessments because it's not the social and emotional competency. It might be partly an outcome of the social and emotional competency or lack thereof, uh, but it's often used as kind of a proxy measure. I think those self-report questionnaires, teacher report, and direct assessments that really are designed to get it, here, here, the, here's the child's level of competency in the content area that we're trying to teach, uh, are really going to get us furthest in terms of informing instruction and helping us know how kids are doing. Wonderful. Well, to wrap up this, this, Clark, what do you think are some important ingredients that you think an SEL program should include? I think it should be uh, really explicit, the teaching of the social and emotional competence. Uh, I think it, it should be uh, sequenced to the degree possible. Uh, it should be um, administered uh, or, or used, taught um, frequently, um, not just 10 minutes a week, but uh, this is something that should be infused uh, throughout the week. I do think standalone lessons for SEL sometimes are hard to fit in. But even a brief uh, SEL lesson frequently through the week with then opportunities to practice those because SEL is happening all the time. You know, kids on the playground will get into it. And that's a great opportunity to take the stuff that was learned in the classroom and coach kids through uh, different situations. So infusing the uh, SEL uh, lessons uh, throughout the school day, not just during lesson time. Uh, and having evidence uh, that, that it actually, if you do it, do it with sufficient intensity and quality, it's likely to lead to a benefit. I think those are really important elements of an SEL program. Absolutely. With my background in publishing, I, I would love to see math books next to the problems, including something about 
you, if you didn't get it yet, please try harder, a little growth mindset box. That's the, the vision that I have for where this is going so that it infuses into the curriculum. I think that's a, that's a great point. And I will say, I think that that's something that the field of SEL is grappling with and has had um, some successes with, but hasn't quite figured out is how to seamlessly integrate SEL along with academic content. Um, there are some providers like the Success for All Foundation. Uh, they they have the Success for All curriculum, which is a literacy uh, curriculum, and they've created a social and emotional curriculum called Getting Along Together, which goes really nicely with um, uh, Success for All, and it sort of did, originated with the intent of teaching children the competencies they needed to do the group work, the cooperative work that's part of uh, the Su Success for All literacy curriculum. And so here we have an, a great example of uh, academic content and social and emotional content designed intentionally to support one another. Uh, more work like that, I think, will really benefit uh, teaching and learning a lot. Absolutely. Well, Clark, I want to thank you so much for your time today, uh, for your explanation of SEL assessments and how they work with CellWeb. If anyone wants to reach you, what's the best way? They can go to our website, which is www.xsel-labs.com. So it's xcellabs.com uh, to check out uh, what we do. Uh, my email address is cmckown at xlabs.com, so people can always feel free to drop me an email. Uh, and we have other contact information on the website if people want to reach out. Wonderful. Do you have any final words of wisdom to leave with us as we move forward with this discipline, this new discipline for social-emotional learning? I, I don't really have any final parting shots, but I would say that I, I think that um, this is great. I really appreciate you doing this and um, bringing people together to have the conversation. I really think this is the kind of conversation that will help propel us forward. Um, my feeling is that um, I've always felt as though bringing the different strands of the SEL movement together uh, and, and having them coordinated is going to be really key. You know, you don't want people who are in this camp versus that camp, program people versus assessment people, whatever. If we can figure out ways to bring that stuff together, I really think we have a, a, the potential for a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. Thanks. Thanks so much, Clark. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.